and welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has. I've missed it. Yeah, no, me too. And Natalie said, you know what we should do? We should do a best of 2020. I went, that's a great idea. Let's just heat more workload until the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you said. So you're like, yeah, yeah, I like it. But when? How? <laughs> and then we just, um, not in the American sense of the word connected, we just actually technically connected. And Natalie revealed to me that none of her books are from the podcast. What's going on, Natalie Jameson? <laughs> it was a conscious decision, and it's not to say that I will talk about some of the books that I have loved, obviously, that we've mm. done on the podcast this year on series one of bestsellers. But I've been doing lots of other reading outside of that, and I basically I couldn't pick. It's like picking your children, right? I didn't yeah, want to pick hard. from the I found it uh, really hard. from the many authors that we've been so privileged to speak to. So I will um reference some of those but I figured you know you can go and listen to those and, and mm. hear about their books in all their glory uh, but I wanted to highlight some other ones that might have you might not have noticed perhaps might pass you by yeah exactly it's been such a strange year hasn't it do you know um, just I think what we should do as well then given what you just said yeah is you should probably just do at some point favorite authors from the podcast so as in favorite episodes favorite interviews do you know what I mean <laughs> stuff that we loved do you want to do that just so that people people can get some love where you might not necessarily have picked the book. That's all I'm thinking. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. So we're not excluding anybody. We're just showing extra love to some of the ones that we really, really, really enjoyed. Yeah, Linda LaPlante. Yeah. <laughs> might be. Might be. <laughs> hey, can I tell you, um, I, I don't know if this is a bit gauche to tell you this, but it, it, I'm not telling it you as a brag. I'm telling it you because mm. it, it really made my week, not my day, but my week, right? Yeah. I got um, a Christmas card to my home address, but it, but it was addressed to Phil Williams Times Radio. Right? Uh-huh. And I thought, I don't well, I don't give the home address out for for work for the day job, right? Who's yeah. who's this? And I started my heckle started to rise. <laughs> and I opened it and there was a lovely Christmas card, very traditional scene, right? Yeah. And when I opened it, it said, To Phil, my favorite interviewer. Happy <gasps> Christmas, Linda LaPlante. Oh, you're just making me jealous now. Hand, handwritten. I was handwritten. so I was so bowled over. Is there like a PS on the back? Said, oh, and I really like Natalie as well, but I just didn't address. So <laughs> it's. I can safely say to you, it's probably only like the third time I've received a handwritten anything from a guest. Wow. Yeah. Super yeah. special. Very very thrilled with that. That's yeah. that's Christmas done for me. It doesn't matter what the presents are now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love it. So, should we explain what we're going to yeah, do? On. You explain because I need to know as well. <laughs> well we both <laughs> picked five books that we wanted to highlight, um, and I think this is a really good time of year to do it because hopefully people may have a bit more breathing space to dive into a book over the festive period or if you're looking for gifts for people mm -hmm. I always think a book is a brilliant gift to I get agree. somebody um and you know just reading around and reading different things and and sort of opening your mind to stories you may not necessarily gravitate towards uh because somebody's recommended them I think is always a good thing so we thought we'd pick five books each talk a little bit about them um and yeah that's it that is it. Now, you've made it sound really simple, which is excellent because it needs mm. to be simple for people to enjoy this episode. Yeah. Right? It was not simple in this in any way for me to try and find these five. <laughs> Shall I tell you what I did? Yeah. I went through all of our podcasts, first of mm -hmm. all, for season yeah. one. Then I went through, you know, I do a lot of reading now on my tablet because I'm basically going blind. So I find it much easier to read off a screen that's backlit than I do off a tiny print. <laughs> I've had two um, proofs recently where I've had to phone mm. the publisher and go, no can't see a word 
Really? Yeah, really so you need, tiny. just need to go to the opticians? I do have some glasses, some reading glasses, but even with the glasses on, it was a bit of a struggle because they're just so tiny. Okay. It's something to do with proofs. If I buy an actual from the shop book, mm. n- not a problem. Hmm. Strange. Yeah. Again, I'm going to recommend a uh, clinical optician to check out your I eyesight. Yeah, but I only went last summer. Hang on, what year is it? 2020. Yeah, I did. I went August 2019, and that was when I got the – and she, the prescription's minimal on the glasses. Yeah, well, your eyes can change a lot in a year. So my eyes are dreadful, uh, but I've worn glasses since I was four. So, well, I wear contact lenses a lot. So do you want to, do you want to go five to one in the best oh, traditions you, of chart shows? I, I haven't, like, picked a favourite. Have you picked a favourite? Yeah, yeah, <gasps> yeah. I've got a standout favourite. That's, like, head and shoulders above the rest, yeah. Ooh, wow, okay. That was the easiest one. The number one was the easiest one. Was it? For me. Yeah, for me, yeah. Ugh. Okay, well, no, you go then. You do your number five first, and I'm going to order okay. mine while you talk about number five. Well, number five is an author that we've already mentioned, and um, because she sent me a Christmas card, it's Linda LaPlante <laughs> and Buried, and we interviewed Linda for episode three for the podcast, and Buried is the creation of a new copper called Jack War, who I really liked. First of all, I think it's brave when any established writer decides to create a new character when they don't need to, you know, because yeah. Linda's still got the Tennyson backstories going on, and um, doesn't need to be doing this. And uh, I liked about him that he was flawed. He comes from a slightly dodgy family, a criminally dodgy family. And um, and then there was also the callback to some of the women from Widows, wasn't there, in this book, there which was, you really yeah, enjoyed. Love that. And and so the reason I've picked this and put this here is, A, because the book was a ripper and just went, I tore straight through it. But B, because Linda was just amazing in the podcast. And if you don't remember... The original story was that we both interviewed Linda and then the Zoom said, um, saving to your cloud. And then a week later, it said, saving to your cloud. And then four weeks later, it said, still saving to your cloud. <laughs> and it didn't oh. save to our cloud. It was a lesson learned to record locally. But um, she had the very good grace when I phoned her publicist and admitted what had gone on to say, yeah, okay, we'll redo it tomorrow. Literally, didn't she? The next day, yeah, I made the call at quarter six one night and it yeah. was on for lunchtime the following day. She was amazing. And the other thing I like about her, uh, apart from how, well, everything, because she's such a wonderful writer and how funny she is, but when you do a Zoom with Linda LaPlante, the first thing you see are all her BAFTAs behind her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah she's like, unapologetic right. in that yeah. way. Um, but it's just totally her. She's such yeah. a delight to spend time with. Really is, really is. So that that's the first one on the list for me, Linda LaPlante and, and Buried. Oh, I would add to that as well. Like She was one of, one of my favourite interviewees this year and maybe we should lose interviews more often because then we get to do it again uh, and just get different stories and get to know people a bit better and yeah I I think what I really enjoyed about that book as well was the way she writes dialogue um which is such a skill such a skill but it's she makes it so believable and you can mm. just hear these characters like having a right old chin wag and um being mean and funny and yeah it's great good choice for number five so we, we've discussed the fact that you're writing a book at the moment and you're going through yeah. it. We've discussed that a lot. Um, were you told, as a new writer, were you told that one of the most important things is to find your voice and the voice of the characters? Because going back to what you just said about Linda, mm. it, you're absolutely right. It's a really good point you made. All of these different characters in this book have got really distinctive voices. And so as I'm reading them, I'm doing them in my head. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is such an art to be able to do. Yeah, I think definitely... Um one of the mistakes I made with my first and second and possibly a bit of my third draft of this first book um, and I'm just about to finish the fourth draft which has changed uh, changed quite a bit of the story but changed a lot in the way that I write is that um, 
I wrote quite a lot of prose and even though I wrote I do write quite a lot, lot of dialogue and I really like writing dialogue and I think coming from that the radio background it's quite I quite like getting into people's heads and I can often write because you've probably done the same thing as well you might have to write have written scripts for a different newsreader or a different mm. presenter and you mm. automatically try and copy some of their intonations and the way they say words so you kind of get into the style that way so I really enjoy doing that but I hadn't quite realized how sometimes I'd have quite a blocky section where it'd just be prose and you could just flip that and turn it into speech but I wasn't doing it um so that was quite a, a learning curve but a really fun one actually and you know it's the, again the classic thing of uh show people what's happening don't tell them yeah um, when I was writing, um, one of the things I kept doing was putting my stock phrases into characters' mouths. And so when I showed the prose <laughs> thing to a trusted friend, they'd say, well, that's your phrase. That's yeah. you. That's you. And I go, oh, right, okay, I better. I need to back off my voice and go to the character's voice. Yeah, and I also think I found that um, sometimes there was one character in this book that I think was probably closest to me that I struggled the most with um, trying to find her voice. Uh, and then it was more of the the characters that felt a bit more sidelined maybe were more enjoyable because you're a bit kind of freer with writing about them um, and I often find that sometimes when you might find this too when you're reading some books it's that minor character that actually doesn't mm. have that much to do but they're so distinctive mm. um, so that's kind of been fun to try and I say fun has been a right chore <laughs> to try and play around with a little bit um, but yeah right I'm going to give you my number five book because I have now ordered them and have you okay well yeah, I have uh, and this is in honor of uh, Rukmini Aya who we interviewed uh, uh, for the podcast because yeah. you know I love a cookery book yeah and this book didn't come out this year but it's a book that I've used loads this year um, and it is called, I'm holding it up so you can see it backwards, Honest Pretzels and 64 Other Amazing Recipes for Kids Who Love to Cook by Molly Katzan. And Molly Katzan is an incredible um, cookery author. Can you hear the wood chipper going behind me now? There's I a wood chipper in the street. It's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas. <laughs> Molly Katzan has written, um, she wrote the first Moosewood Kitchen cookbook. Um, which is a brilliant cookbook, uh, vegetarian food. Uh, Sorry, what, so have I missed the link to Rukmini? Uh, it, because it's a cookery book. That's oh, okay, book, right, right, pretty okay, much. right. But I've chosen it because I bought this in the first lockdown in 2020 for my daughter, and she has then been cooking more or less like once a week for us as a whole family, because oh, what right. this book does, it lays out recipes, but it does it in illustrated drawings. So literally step-by-step, step, so it'll say, if you're gonna cut an onion, here's how you cut it. Okay, then prepare your onion and put it here. Um, it'll do some things like, you know, ask your parents to cook the rice or whatever, but um, my daughter cooks a really lovely now um, vegetable fried rice. She's done a minestrone soup. That's a really good one as well with some chunky bits of pasta in it and um, there's a really good all-in-one pan chocolate cake that she makes and she can literally just take this book and follow the recipes my daughter's 12 now and so what age range would you say is suitable um it probably says on here i don't want to do the book a disservice but um i'd say you could be younger than 12 as well and follow it so yeah maybe like sort of eight upwards okay it's been lovely to kind of see her get really engaged with a cookery book which is obviously something that i love anyway and um, but want to cook recipes that sound tasty to her uh, so go remind us first of all what it's called again it is called honest pretzels by molly yeah. katzen and katzen is k-a-t-z-e-n and molly is m-o-l-l-i-e and it came out a while ago it um, looks beautiful i have to say yeah it is really pretty when was it published it was published like in 1999 
okay. Molly Capson's been going for ages. Um, she's such a brilliant uh, cookery book writer and well worth following on social media as well. Seems like a really lovely person. And is it um, quite easy to follow those recipes? Do you have to put anything in the microwave? <laughs> Somebody's been watching Nigella. Uh, I haven't got that Nigella book yet, but I really want it. Um, although there is a there is um, a shape that it, I could already have it under the Christmas tree, so I don't want. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. I'm really pleased that even at your age, you still haven't grown out of trying to second guess your presents. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Very good. Okay, so that's your five. Mm-hmm. Um, should we do my four? Yeah. I nearly didn't put this in, right? And it's because it's nonfiction. And then I thought, well, what's the judging criteria for for books of the year? And I think one of them is something that you just really enjoyed reading that you would tell other people to read. Yeah. So on that criteria, I'm putting in From Crime to Crime, uh, Sir Richard Enriquez QC. Ah. And the reason I love this so much is that this is a compendium of all the cases that he either prosecuted, defended, or heard as a judge, as a trial judge, and then latterly as a court of appeal judge. And so the Barry George case, the Giordano case is in there, um, the Shipman trial, the uh, Bulger trial. There's so many high profile cases that you will know. And I covered a lot of them as a reporter. So then to be able to speak to him on bestsellers about those cases. Um, and one of the things that struck me about him, which is clearly why he's risen to the top of his field, is that he explains everything with such crystal clarity. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how he has to make complex decisions that aren't necessarily black and white on the page by applying the law to those decisions. And he writes with that clarity as well. And so you can pick this up and you can go, right, I'll do that chapter. I'll read about that case today. And then you can put it down and go a couple of days if you want to, and then pick it up and go, I'll read about that case next. And um, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. I I found it invigorating and I found him invigorating to speak to. And actually, I also found he restored my faith in the law and the process of the law. Yeah, he was fascinating to chat to. I think I found quite a lot of this book tough um but that's not um to put it down in any way it's just you know as you're saying like the subject matter is pretty grim a lot of it but um it was really it is one of those books where i definitely what i was reading about i then wanted to talk to somebody about so while i was reading it you know i'd chat to my mum the next day and i'd be like oh i was just reading this bit in this book about that and i think that does absolutely then fall into your criteria your criteria of it is those stories that you want to pass on and have some kind of chat about with other people yeah exactly and i don't know what else to say about this other than i think you should read it i think it feels like a must read to me because it's it's a study of human behavior it's a study of the law um it's the insight that he brings as to the decisions that had to be made and the the line of approach everything's very logical isn't it Mm, yeah it is it is but that's not to say that it isn't without emotion no true um but yeah, I, I, I think my anticipation of what I was going to read about was worse than actually reading it. Um, it was kind of a, a calmer read uh, in that sense. And actually, once I started reading it, I was really into it. And I wanted to hear more of the intricacies and the detail that he goes into and, and just feel more informed about how some of these decisions are made. Mm, I agree. So that's uh, Sir Richard Enriquez. That's H-E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-S. And it's From Crime to Crime. Uh, which came out this year, and he was featured on our podcast as well this year too. He was indeed. Okay, so my number four then is a book that we've spoken about on the radio, but we haven't spoken about on the podcast, and it is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And the subtitle of this is Stop Pleasing, Start Living. And 
it's again it's non-fiction so I got this book uh, for my Kindle and I'm quite a late convert to Kindles or e-readers or digital e-book reading in any shape or form because I'm very much like the physical copies of books and I like the smell of them I like to hold them I like to see how thick they are I like the feel of the pages I like the type I like everything about books like that and obviously we we're just talking about cookery books and um, cookery books especially are kind of you know I love the kind of weight of them and being able to flick through multiple multiple times oh there's a fox outside my window classic distraction um, and <laughs> literally just took a pee what's it do? the it's fox outside my window which of those recipes could I use that in <laughs> not oh now, now it's a bit worried because of the wood chipper it doesn't know which way to go its usual route has been blocked I hope it's all right anyway um so I really Fox, Fox Travel News on bestsellers. What I really liked about reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle on Kindle is that I found it quite an overwhelming experience to read. So the opening sentence is, well, is this actually like there's a prologue and then this is kind of like the main chapter. Uh, four years ago, married to the father of my three children, I fell in love with a woman. Um, and it tells a bit of her unraveling as her the kind of main relationship that she'd had up to that point um, with her husband, sort of what went wrong there and what it taught her about herself as a woman, as a person, as a parent. And some of it just really uh, hit home, a lot of it in terms of the way that she was feeling or the way that she allows her, had allowed herself to be treated by other people and the way that she had let other people sort of make her feel. And it's just about kind of taking control of who you are and very much about sort of unleashing that inner spark that you everybody has as a kid. And then sometimes as you grow up, it just gets diminished over time. Um, and Or as Oasis put it, the dreams we have as children fade away. You could do that. Um, I will stick with Glennon Doyle's prose for this one, but that is a good point. Uh, and what I liked about reading it uh, in a digital form is that you could just dip into different bits. And I wanted to kind of sit with a lot of the ideas that she was raising. And I don't agree with all that she was talking about at all. Um, some of it didn't kind of sit with me that well, but I really liked that it made me think about things in a very different way. Again, it was just one I kind of wanted to share and talk about with other people. Um, it's an interesting point you make about whether you go tablet or physical book, mm. because I do, as you know now, I do a lot of my reading on my iPad mostly, because I find it easier actually. There are two reasons. If you're going away anywhere, which none of us have done this year, but if you are going away somewhere, you can take more than three or four books with you and you're not, you know, weighing your hand luggage down or heavy. But also I like the fact that it tells me how many pages to go to into the chapter. So if I'm tired, I can go, okay, it's three pages left and then I'll, I'll do those and then I can put the iPad down. Um, but there are some books you can't do that with. And this sounds like one of them. Um, so this is the opposite. This is one you did do online. Yeah. But the, um, the two I was thinking of, one of which you recommended to me on the radio, actually, on Mama Times radio show. Is, um, I'm just looking at it on the floor now, so I get the title right. It's the <laughs> Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Yeah, Charlie Maxey book. Um, that definitely. I bought that because you mentioned it on the on the show consistently, and uh, I've got a limited edition of it, which is just beautiful, really oh. beautiful. And I'll read that now. And that's we can dip in my four year old, and I can dip into that. But that's definitely that wouldn't work so well on a tablet, I don't think. And then the other one I did try on a tablet because you know iBooks will give you like a thirty page preview before you mm -hmm, buy. Mm -hmm. I tried the Matthew McConaughey book Green Lights, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's so full of photos and his scrawls and handwritten scrawly notes and um, ideas and thoughts, and it's not a conventional layout that actually you need the physical. So I ordered the physical. 
you do need that because it just it feels gorgeous to hold and it's his it feels like you're reading his diaries it feels like yeah. you're intruding into his diaries yeah so i think there are still some that but you know sometimes i'm trying to think of some of the um oh the biggest book i read this year and it should have made this list actually and it hasn't made this list because it's brilliant <laughs> was the kingdom joe nesbo the first ever joe nesbo that i'd read mm-hmm. in total right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there was one other joe nesbo that i tried that was awful i didn't tell him that um and i got Hi, about 40 in and it was yeah it was dreadful macbeth joe leave it alone Shakespeare did it better. But um, yeah, the kingdom's superb, but it's so big mm. that it's one of those where I don't read it in bed, Natalie, right? Because you know what was going to happen is that it was going to smack me on the bridge of the nose. Yeah, yeah. You must have done that. We've all yeah. done that. I mean, where you're holding yeah. it above your head and you think two more pages and I'll put it down. The next thing it smashed you on the bridge of your nose and it makes your eyes water. Oh, that's horrible. For yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it is interesting though. It's like similarly uh, the Dolly Parton book, Songteller. Have you got that? Yeah. I, I sent it to one of the radio team, but I, so I've, I've sent it as a gift, but I mm. haven't, they, they know they've received it. There's no yeah. spoiler, but I haven't um, got it myself. Um, but it looks like a proper, what I would call a coffee table. Book. Yeah. It's massive. It's a really big book, but it's, it's glossy and it's, it's interesting because it is one of those books that you could dip into, but I think to get the full sort of sensory pleasure of it, you want to feel the weight of those pages and see mm. the photos and mm. the layout is gorgeous. And obviously sometimes the layout goes a bit funny on e-readers, I find. Um, yeah, I'm a bit, Yeah, I'm a bit like that with um, with cookery books, which as you know, I adore and I will shut mm. up about them, I promise. Storybooks is the key, isn't it, for, mm. for e-reading? Yeah, yeah. And, and prefer, you know, maybe huge ones that you don't want to have to smash your nose with, but you can get them on your tablet and, you know, away you go. Yeah, right, your number three, please. Okay, so my number three is a book that we did do, and I will be astonished if this isn't on your list <laughs> because it's from your all-time favourite author of all time, and it's David <laughs> Nichols and Sweet Sorrow. It's such a good book. So the reason this makes the list, uh, there are many, but so let me list them in no particular order. <laughs> it could be you. In no particular order. Um, firstly, it's a great book, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really gorgeous, romantic, funny book about um, the summer after your, your exams, after A-level exams, um, set in the kind of late 90s. So there was lots of um, nostalgia that resonated with me. Um, I was slightly older than that in the late 90s. I was in my 20s, but I was still got the reference points. The story is just superbly done. It's done with warmth and humour. And there aren't many books I get given these days or choose to buy, which are have both in. There are a lot yeah. of warm books around. Um, I read a really warm book that was a crime book actually this year. Let me just turn around again and see if I can. Uh, Chris Whitaker, We Begin at the End. Mm-hmm. But it's quite stark in places. It's, mm. it's um, But there's warmth all the way through it. But it's not funny. It's a thriller. Yeah. And um, really good, funny books are in short supply, I think. And um, so that's why I chose this. And then obviously the story that you and I have with David personally is that he was the very first person we approached to appear on this podcast when it was just a pilot. Yeah, he, he was. said yes. He walked to the studio in London to record it on his own. Um, you know, no army. Of <laughs> you make it sound like that's like a grown up. He can walk to by himself to a studio. <laughs> he just. I get your point. Talked, you know what I mean. He just. Yeah totted us as if it was just david rather than david nichols multi-award winning screenwriter and book (laughs) book publisher and uh, and he was gorgeous and then when we had um we had quite a sizable delay really in being able to um get the podcast into a form where you can listen to it 
and he didn't mind that and then we emailed him and said to him that right we're finally going with it and he was like i'm thrilled because the paperback's coming out and that's how long the gap was we interviewed him for the hardback release and he just couldn't have been more accommodating couldn't have been nicer i ended up doing a load of live shows with him just before lockdown which were a huge amount of fun and he's um he's quite shy naturally as a person Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. he's actually despite that shyness he will talk to you about anything like nothing's off limits no and so he's a really engaging interview as well. And as you hopefully you'll know if you've heard that episode, which was done right at the beginning of the run of season one. So for all of those reasons, for the love of him, the love of the book, the lack of good, funny books around at the moment, that's why he's made my list at number three, David Nichols' Sweet Sorrow. And he's not on yours. He's not, but that's because, purely because, like, as I said at the beginning, I didn't want to pick from our kids of the people that we've had on the podcast so far. Um, but I am so thrilled, obviously, that he has made it onto your list because it is just a brilliant book, Sweet Sorrow, by David Nichols. And he is, I think we might have said this uh, first time round, but he is one of those authors that I just implicitly trust so I like the choices he makes. I like the subjects that he chooses to write about. I know that it's always going to be interesting. And obviously, you know, people have uh, books from his back catalogue that they prefer over other ones. Um, but all of his books have something quite unique to offer. Uh, and in this case, in Sweet Sorrow, it was kind of like that blossoming first relationship, first time you fall in love and so hard to get that right and not make it sound like a cliche or make it sound naff or make it really just kind of cringy to read. Um, He's just so skilled in the way he develops relationships. And, you know, again, we spoke about dialogue earlier with Linda Laplante and I think David Nichols just does speech so well as well, um, which obviously you get because he's a a talented uh, screenwriter as well. But yeah, it's a joy of a book. Brilliant. Can I just say, um, mm-hmm. when we, so we did that interview pre-COVID, didn't we? Well, mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. pre-COVID. So yeah. you and I were in the same room together with David Nichols. Yeah. And I know that you sound, you might think, well, why are you making that point? But it, that is such a rarity now. Pretty much most of these episodes were done with Natalie in one place, me in another, and the author in the third location. Yeah. Uh, done over Zoom. And um, what's really nice when you're in the same place is you do, um, you feel an energy in the room right mm-hmm. so as well as being able to look at natalie and look at david engage their reactions i can feel an energy and there was a, a moment i don't think i've ever told you this, there was a moment where he <laughs> revealed that with one day which you adore yeah um, that he rewrote it all out by hand mm-hmm. as, a, as kind of a final proof to make sure that it worked and when he revealed that i looked across at you and you went puce <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't want to say anything at the time. I didn't want to be mean, but I thought, oh, that, that's a woman who's just had a shock that she thinks she might have to do that before she can get her book out to be as good as David <laughs> Nichols' books. Yeah, I'm in no way, <laughs> shape or form, uh, likening my writing to David Nichols. I aspire to be like that. And yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of why I hold him in such high regard, because I think his writing is so smart and witty and funny and warm. And I'd love to be able to write like that. But, you know, he's been doing it for a really long time and is practiced the art and it is a true art um so yeah i find his work properly inspiring so that's my number three your number three my number three is somebody that i think we wanted to do for the podcast i know i definitely mentioned her but i think with schedules and everything else it was one of those ones that we couldn't get around to fixing but it is charlotte wood with a book called the weekend uh and this is about four women 
uh, older women and one of them has recently died and the other three women are going to uh, this beautiful beach house in Australia on the coast to clear out her belongings. And it's somewhere they used to go for weekends and they'd sort of hang out and they all have their own dynamic and they bring to this. So there's a lot of reminiscing um, and it is just a brilliant portrayal of different characters and of how people and this is it's all women um but it's not to say that men don't do this too but to who we project when we're in certain relationships and certain dynamics and you kind of you know there'll be the one who's like the coper or the one who's always organized and the one who's always a bit messy or unreliable and actually this book really unpicks whether those traits are true or if they get set early on in a friendship relationship and then it's really hard to backtrack from that and sort of change that as time goes on mm. and this you mm. know it's just it's just told really well it's you know as the title suggests the weekend it's it plays out over a weekend it's quite thrilling uh, as the story develops and I don't want to give stuff away if people are going to go away and read this one or gift it to somebody um but it's just oh there's one scene in particular that this kind of made it onto my list because I keep thinking about this scene something happens to one of the characters where it just breaks that facade that she's kept up for decades um and it's just heartbreaking and you can you can see it coming and then when it happens you're like no um yeah it's just really good and it's also funny too and you know we're just talking about David Nichols and humor mm. and and it's this book works I think because it does all of those things it you know you've got the drama you've got emotion and there's sadness because obviously somebody's died um there's sort of a lovely kind of passing of time uh, running throughout this and also uh sort of reading it this year in particular um charlotte wood describes this scenery in australia beautifully so much so that you can you know you can absolutely see it and this rickety old house uh which has this kind of um because it's sort of set into the cliffside, it's got this ramp, uh, a really old fashioned motorized ramp. You have to kind of get on the ramp if you've got your shopping or your luggage or anything, and then kind of start the, the chain and the cogs and the motors to kind of take you up the side of the cliff into this house. Um, and it's just so beautiful to read, I loved it. Shortlisted for the Stella Prize this year. Mm-hmm, indeed. The Weekend by Charlotte Wood. You've, um, I'm unfamiliar with that, and just off your description now, you're making me look it up. I think I'm gonna plump, <laughs> I'm gonna plump for that it sounds great it's kind of one of those books where not very much seemingly happens but kind of everything happens yeah yeah oh, i love that okay right that's going on my uh, natalie recommends list which is a very good <laughs> you've cost me a fortune this year you're welcome <laughs> right then we're into the top two more john more we're into the top two <laughs> I, uh, I was gonna say is there like music now <laughs> scott chiro the last trial we didn't do scott try to publicists didn't return the emails thanks for that um none taken scott to the last trial and the reason i've picked this is because i think it was at the time when i was doing see my memory's so hazy i was interviewing another writer and um that writer said to me you've got to read this book and so i did and it's it's long but it's brilliant Mm-hmm. And it's about um, one of his regular. So Scott Turow did Presumed Innocent, right? Yeah. Which, which Harrison Ford did the film of. That's kind of that's the entry point. That's the one everyone knows. It's about um, his most revered courtroom advocate, Sandy Stern, and he's about to retire. 
and he's a, a legendary defense attorney. He doesn't lose a case, right? And he's persuaded to take on one last case to defend an old friend who's a doctor who's accused of fraud, insider trading, and murder. And as the trial progresses, the reason why the book's so brilliant is because you start to think, hang on, he's done it. He's done it. Oh, no, hang on. No, he hasn't done it. He hasn't. He's innocent. Oh, hang on. Is he innocent? No, he's definitely done it. No, no, he's not. He's innocent. And you flip right the way through. Yeah. And, and as you're flipping, so does Sandy Stern, the advocate. And so mm -hmm. he doesn't really know. And he kind of has this thing where he only really defends people if he knows they're innocent. And obviously, because it's a friend, yeah, made him question it even more. And I was riveted by this. And there's quite a lot of courtroom scenes. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, the way that he sustains those without them becoming dull is fantastic. And uh, it's a really, I, I noticed this book's coming out in paperback in January, actually. So I was saying to Natalie just before we started recording for you that another of my tests for how good a book is, is if you try and crowbar in chapters. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. So you say, right, I've got a meeting at three. If I get there 20 minutes early, I could do two chapters. And you're trying to find time in your day to get, and that's what I was doing with that book. I was really trying. And then also, then the reverse of that is you get towards the end of the book and you slow it down because you don't want it to end. So you know you've only got 50 pages left and you think, right, well, I'm going to just do 10 tonight. I'm just going to yeah. eke it out because I don't want this book to end because then it's it gone from happens. the world. That's great, isn't it? So Scott Turo, T-U-R-O-W, The Last Trial, just amazing. You see, I don't think I've read any of his books. Did I read Presumed Innocent back in the day? I don't think I did. So I don't read as much crime fiction, as much crime thrillers as I know you do. I think that's kind of mm. your sort of go-to genre maybe it's become that way but mm. by default in a way really because if you asked me what do i prefer i'd say to you funny book hands okay. down yeah but i think um this, i think what's happened is that crime sells well so people more people do it because mm -hmm, they think mm -hmm. they'll make money from it and um therefore you've got a greater probability of the books being good that's a fair point and there are just fewer funny books around yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, that, that all started with Gone Girl for me. And then I thought, well, that can't be the only book like that. And so I started to delve around. And then especially when quality writers give you recommendations, you know, that's that's that can't be ignored. So, yeah, I suppose I probably do read a fair. Do you know what I could do with? Do you know um, you're on Spotify, aren't you? Yeah. Did you get that thing this year saying what you've listened to all year? Yeah. Like your most played songs. <laughs> yeah. I, I could do with. So, yeah, I could do with someone doing that for my reading. Hmm. And then I could give you a definitive, I could say, yeah. I'd love to be able to say to you, oh, yes, 78% of the books I read this year were crime and 22 were romance and something else, you know, but I tell you what isn't in there, sci-fi. God, loathe it. Yeah, you see, I've spoken to you about this before. I don't just like dismiss a genre because you think you don't like it. There'll be some really great stories in there, really great stories. Um, but right, my number two, by the way, I do want to read um, that Scott Giroux book mm. you were just talking about because of the way that you were describing it as well. And I was just wow. thinking when you were talking about it that I really love watching courtroom drama films, which often do come from books, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't kind of flip it the other way. I don't often then go, oh, yeah, I should read that, or I should, you know, really delve into some more thrillers. But, um, yeah, the way you're describing that is great. You it, you will like that. Yeah, mm. there's there's nothing not to like about it, and there's nothing, there's nothing brutal in it. You know, I know sometimes with crime you can worry about things being too brutal, but that's not, that's not the case with this. So. Bloody light keeps falling off the laptop. That's when, that's when you buy cheap. Right. My number two is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which is a book that... Sorry, say that again. The Vanishing... The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I thought you said half. Half, as in two parts of one, which I think is a book, probably seen this pop up on various lists, I think, this year, because it has been noticed a fair amount with 
absolutely good reason. This was one of those stories that um, I just raced through. I just wanted to go back to it each evening so I could read a bit more. So The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett is set in a small community in southern, in the south of America, and it's a black community, but this is a community where it is the lightest shade of black. And this is something that defines that community and something that they've they sort of held on to for decades. Um, and two sisters who um, end up leaving the community and then one of them comes back years later and uh, she has a child who is the blackest black child. And this book just opens up so many prejudices. It deals with class, it deals with race, uh, it deals with snobbery. It's, it's, I was kind of loath to sort of set it up this way because this is naturally how I think the book has been presented and, and what's drawn a lot of people to it. But as with everything like this, what is so brilliant about this book, it is just a roller coaster story. It is dramatic, it's funny, it's the characters are are brilliant. It's set across many generations. So you kind of see people's lives play out. And again, a bit of you know, sort of what we were talking about with Charlotte Woods The Weekend. This is the version of themselves that people present to the world how that is contradicting with who they really are and at some point there's got to be a reckoning of of how that is going to play out in somebody's life and can you keep those things hidden can you suppress stuff for so long or is it always going to worm its way out and there are some of the characters in this that are really mean but you kind of get to understand where that's coming from and there's some brilliant one-liners and some really vicious phrases where people are really hurting the ones that they truly love and you can see it happening um and it just I just love this book so much and um, I haven't looked up actually I'm sure it's going to be made into a film or a tv series if it hasn't already um but yeah it's just I feel I'm doing a bit of a disservice but it is well just, can I tell you what yeah. um my reaction is mm. my reaction is it sounds hard work it's so it not sounds, hard work it sounds too close to the news yeah, and I think that's why I was kind of loath to set it up in the way that I did. But that is the basis of the story, and that is a lot of what happens. But it's you could just as easily say this is um, it's an American tale set in a couple of communities where there are some really bitchy women um, and some really feisty characters who are trying to do the right thing with their lives, and they fall in love and they fall out of love. Um, they have kids. Uh, they try to make friends and there are awkward play dates and there's people getting drunk and going to bars there's somebody who gets a job in the theater um, and it's just really flamboyant and such an easy read uh, and again you know it's a term that I don't use lightly and I mean with the best intentions it's mm, mm. it's so yeah it's so easy to read you can just kind of I raced through it. I loved it. Um, so having heard about The Vanishing Half, H-A-L-F, uh, um, do you think that's something that you'll be interested in? I don't think I've sold it that well. I was going to be flippant then and, and, and play it for laughs, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you a proper answer, which is, no, I, I'm not going to be interested in that for the reason mm. that I gave you before, which is that I think it's just going to be too close to events that I end up reporting on my national daily programme. That's why. And I like to read. Mm -hmm. If I'm reading for pleasure, I need to read to escape. And I think so for, for that reason, I probably yeah, won't be checking yeah. that one out. I think, yeah, I totally think you should. So that's Natalie's number two. Ready for the number ones? Yeah. 
My number one is written by an author that we did interview for the podcast, but the book is the book that he was talking to us about trying to complete in lockdown. Mm. And it only came out in November. So it's not the book we did him for, but we did cover the ground of this book. And it's it's Michael Connolly and The Law of Innocence. And the reason why this is my number one, firstly, he's already pushing an open door with me because I think the man's a genius and his bar is consistently high. Secondly, it's a Mickey Haller book, and that's The Lincoln Lawyer. You might have seen the Matthew McConaughey film of 2005, and it's my favourite um, Connolly character. I've told him that. He knows that um, more than Bosch, and yet Harry Bosch is the one everyone knows Michael Connolly for, and that's now into something like its eighth season, I think, on Amazon Prime as well. But Mickey Haller is the character for me, and this is just superbly done because... Um, now, bear with me on this analogy, right? Because it will make sense, Natalie, right? But okay. I remember years ago, I remember seeing Sandra Bullock on Jonathan Ross's show for the mm-hmm. proposal. Yeah. And she said to him, she was very honest, and she said to him, look, the thing with romantic comedies is we know they're going to get together. So the reason why the film is interesting is how do they get together, right? And I think in this particular book, the same rule applies. So in essence, what happens is Mickey Haller is arrested very early on in the book because there's a murdered body in the back of his Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so banged to rights the way it's done. You think, oh, oh, well, he's going to go down for this. And then as a reader, I'm thinking, there's no way you can send this character to jail. There's no way this book can end on this character going to jail, right? Don't do that to me, right? <laughs> so I've got this kind of, similar to the rom-com thing, I've got this thing going on in my mind as I'm reading this, where I'm thinking, well, we know he's innocent. We know he hasn't done it, right? How on earth is he going to prove his innocence? And how is it this man who gets everyone else off? How is he going to do it for himself? And that is brilliantly done. That's why this is my number one book of the year. And it's, as I said to you at the beginning, head and shoulders. I mean, it wasn't a close call. Really? It's way out there for me on, on just an amazing piece of storytelling. He ramps it up and ramps it up and ramps it up. Imagine that you've got your oven on and, and your dinner isn't cooking quick enough for your liking and you keep <laughs> cranking the temperature, right? Yeah. That's what he does with the yeah. story. And it's just brilliantly paced superbly told there are moments in it where you finish a chapter and you think oh no no really really okay all right then all right then well then how are you going to get out of that one and it's just yeah, it's brilliant so really how would you say it compares to because we spoke to michael connolly for fair warning yeah how and there was the sort of last i don't know how many pages but the kind of yes, last sort of hour point. of reading yeah, of yeah. that book was like yeah. Yeah, properly yeah, ramped yeah, it up yeah. and was so exciting um yeah. so how does this compare it's as exciting, if not more. And I'll tell you what else as well. How do I say this without, because I, I don't want to give anything away, because I want you to have the same pleasure that I had from the book. Let me say, I was a million miles away from the ending. Let me just put it that way. Okay. And that's another thrill, I think. I think there's no satisfaction for me, I don't know about you, but as a reader, there's no satisfaction or smugness in guessing the end of a book. If I guess the end of a book, I do feel a bit let down. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't be able to guess it. I want to guess it and I want to be wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because I want the writer to be better than my brain at working out where the story's going. Yeah, although I suppose sometimes, to use your Sandra Bullock rom-com mm. analogy, sometimes you want you actually do want that satisfying ending. You want it to be the one that you're imagining, but you can't. You want to just really enjoy that ride to get there. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good clarification because what I don't mean is I d- you don't, yeah, I don't always want to not know how it's going to end, but I just don't want it to be what I think it's going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, um, I always want everything to end really nicely and happily. So. <laughs> <laughs> we had this chat, didn't we, with Anthony Horowitz? And he, yeah. he tests it, tests them out, doesn't he? And he likes yeah. he likes us to have a, I haven't never guessed one of his either. Never guessed a Horowitz. 
No. I'd love to. I'd go, right, here's what's going to happen here. Or especially with like Moonflower Murders that we spoke to him for. Oh, I love that book. I kn- I yeah, I knew you did. I was really thrilled as well because I bought that one to the party and it's a big yeah. old read and I thought, oh, I don't want to subject Natalie to this if she's not going to enjoy That's it. That's great. And um, But it's one of those where it could be anybody, couldn't it? And you need to guess. And mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. I guess twice incorrectly. And that's what I love. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, going back to what you said about um, the previous um, Connolly book, Fair Warning. Yeah, similar pacing, really, and similar levels of excitement. And so you need to be all over this, Natalie Jameson. And okay. Because it, it's pure indulgence and it's fun. And that's the other thing. It's a great fun book. Yeah, fine. Um, I will add that to my list as long as you read Brit Bennett. Ha, huh? joking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Hit us with your number one. <laughs> okay, just before I reveal my number one, yeah. I will say that there was I. I feel very fortunate to have read so many good books this year, and other ones that were in contention were Graham Norton's uh, latest novel, Homestretch. Is you know, it's so funny you should mention that, right? Last night, mm. knowing that we were recording this today, last night the last thing I saw before I shut my eyes and went to sleep was the Graham Norton book. Buzz. Mm. And I thought, oh, I must read that because you very kindly procured a copy for me, and I still yeah. haven't got around to reading it. Yeah, it's a, it's a just a lovely book. It's charming and funny and uh, very gentle, but again, in the best way. That's quite emotional. Anyway, read it, and then we can chat about it properly, and maybe get him on next season. That'd be good. Yeah, love to, love to. Yeah, uh, Lucy Foley's The Guest List is also another great book that um, people will have seen on bestsellers lists this year. Really good murder mystery. Love that one. Um, but my number one book for 2020 is I don't know it's going to surprise you, Jodie Pickelt, The Book of Two Ways. No, it won't surprise me because I know that you love Jodie Pickelt. Yes. Tell me what the book of two ways is about. So I don't want to butcher. Uh, I'm just going to read you what it says on the back, which is who would you be if you hadn't turned out to be the person you are now? Right. Two possible futures, one impossible choice. Um, and this is a, it's at its heart, a love story and a family drama. And it is told between two different time zones if you like so there's kind of two parallel stories going on there's a story when the main protagonist this woman is uh very young um and is just starting her career in egyptology i think i've said that correctly um so she is in egypt she is trying to uncover tombs and unlock the mysteries of uh the pharaohs and the book of the dead um and sort of a lot of the the myths and legends and this kind of all came about because Jodie Pickle's son has been studying this uh, and she got really interested in the subject um, and she goes quite heavy on the detail on that which I found fascinating because it's not something I knew that much about but I have an interest in as well just because it it just seems so kind of unreal some of that stuff but very much happened history like it's amazing right um so I loved all that side of it. And then there's the modern day story and there is a relationship that's bubbling away in the, in the younger story that's playing out where you can, again, it's kind of like that classic story. You can see that it's falling in love for the first time, which Jodie Pickle writes about so convincingly and you're with her every step of the way of, you know, the kind of the breathlessness at seeing somebody and, you know, the classic hating somebody initially and being teased a lot. And then there's sort of an inevitability about what happens there. But again, this isn't a spoiler because you, you sort of get the setup of that, that early romance at the beginning. And then in the present day, that same woman is married to somebody else. 
so you know that something's gone wrong along right, the line. Okay. Um, so this book kind of unpicks what happened and why she's not with the person that she first fell in love with all those years ago and where her life diverged and took a very different path to the one that she thought always thought and believed that she was going to have oh it's just lush and rich and it made me cry and uh but in a really good way and there's a there's a kind of there are various bits that happen in this book that again I wasn't expecting but just sort of like knocked me sideways and um I had to kind of physically put the book down because it took my breath away that was like oh, that has actually happened uh and then I'd pick it back up again and start reading it again and um yeah it's I, I kind of want to read it again and I'm sure it will happen the same time around because I'm really rubbish at like I always forget what happens in books and films yeah, as well yeah. <laughs> like I often forget the ending um which I think is quite a good skill actually because then it means I can truly enjoy it again for a second time um but yeah this is just a brilliant book and oh it's just is it a feel-good book it is a feel-good book but it's also sad in many ways um but a bit like sort of what you were saying with the Richard Enrique's story I think I was initially like oh do I want to dive into this one I'm not you know 2020 has been such a difficult year emotionally and mentally do I want to put myself through something that's going to be quite emotional too but as soon as I started reading I was like yeah I'm, I'm invested in this I want to know how it plays out and it's so rewarding so rewarding it sounds like a future tense version of sliding doors uh yeah it is a little but it's, in the, um, instead of you know the instead of the two life choices being yeah. lived simultaneously on mm. at that time it sounds like after this plane crash She's got these two life choices and which one does she pursue? Yeah, it's 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 a little like that, but um it's not quite as tricksy as that. It's very much sort of rooted in reality. Um can't recommend it highly enough. Right. I've just clicked want to read. <laughs> so that's now gone on the list. That will now be there on my iPad. What I would say with this book is it it's not a, I mean, it's not big in the, you know, it's like four hundred pages, which yeah. is you know, it's, it's a hefty book. 432, they say on iBooks. Yeah. Um, but it is one of those ones where the detail gets quite dense uh, at times. I was like, Oof, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm still going to keep going with it. But it's one of those things, it's a bit like when you're watching a box set, you kind of maybe get to sort of two thirds of the way through and you're like, oh, you know, should I keep going? Like, I, I, lo I really like the characters, but mm. it feels like I'm having to invest a lot here. And then she's so clever as a writer that it all absolutely pays off. So kind of then when you get, it's, you so know, there's no wasted detail and no, everything, if it starts to feel fat as it were, yeah. you know, that's coming back to pay yeah. off at the end. It's just laying right. the groundwork right. and just building up the context for what's to come. Good. Oh, all right. Well, I, I think, because um, we both know how busy each other is and we both know the reading um, demands that we both have, but what we should try and do for each other is I'll read your number one and you read my number one. Cause I assume okay. you haven't read that. No, I haven't. And I've not read yours. So let's okay. just do, let's definitely commit to the number ones. Okay. That? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. And, and, and also, also, by the way, whilst yeah. I'm in full confessional mode, you very kindly sent me a book for my birthday, which is still on the pile to be read as well. So I must read that. Yeah, you did. You did. I haven't read um, Hilary Mantel's latest one either. Cause I'm, I haven't caught up with the other ones, but that's on my shelf too. And I will read at some point but yeah um 
I love getting books. There are lots of books coming out in 2021. I think at this point we should probably say we are going to do more of these. So there will be a series two. We just haven't <laughs> nailed down exactly when yet. Um, but there's loads of stuff that I want to read. There are loads of debuts this um, this year that I haven't completed yet, but I will do. So there's this book called Love Orange, which I'm holding up for Phil's benefit only okay. by Natasha Randall, which sounds fascinating. So I'm going to see if I can read that um, in the next couple of weeks as well. There's a book that's not coming out for a few months yet, but that sounds intriguing called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Dawnie Walton. Uh, and this uh, says on the front cover, an idol of Afro-punk, a duo on the brink of stardom, a night that will define their story forever. Um, there's another, there's a new Taylor Jenkins Reid that's coming. Um, oh, I love her. Yeah. She wrote Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, actually, yeah. I read one of her other books. And the, is it The Seven, Li Seven Lives of Evelyn Hugo? Um, I read that this year as well. That's really good too. So yeah, there's so much good stuff. There's another Beth O'Leary that's coming next year. Uh, the Road Trip, which I'm looking forward to so much. She stuff. was a delight. Wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, real delight. I felt like, again, if that had not been in Zoom, but in the same room, I felt like I'd have left a better person. <laughs> yeah i know what you mean i, I know mean, you mean. borrowed some of her energy and just you know um i want to give some honorable mentions okay. to uh trio william boyd came mm -hmm. out after we'd wrapped season one but um i have a really um so my into william boyd was um uh sweet caress i think it's cool right and it was handed to me in my last job. And I was like, look at the size of that. There's no way I'm reading that. And they said, it's a really, he's a really good get. He's a really good get. And I'm like, don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. And then I read 30 pages, which is, you know, is my test. And I was hooked, right? And yeah. it's not my kind of book. So now when he's got a book out, I go to a go. And he's, the interview was superb. And he talks, he's a real planner, meticulous planner. Sometimes we'll do 18 months planning before he even writes a word on the page. And, um, but I love, um, Trio was really, really good set in the kind of 60s in Brighton. It's all about three different people whose lives intertwine. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, it's actually, I felt missold on some of the book sites because they they made out that it was some kind of menage a trois, and it's not. So um, it's just that various things are happening in their lives which overlap. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. that's probably a better way of putting it, I think, to, to not put people off. Um, Don Winslow, Broken, was Don's collection of short stories. He's just signed a mega money deal. Have you seen for three more books with a brand new publisher? Nice. And, um, yeah, and, and Richard deserved as well. But the short stories, they're, they're good. And one of those is really funny, right? Mm -hmm. a, a monkey in a zoo who manages to get hold of a gun and he's holding a zookeeper hostage. I <laughs> <laughs> So you're laughing already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... I really enjoyed Rage by Bob Woodward this year. Again, nonfiction, but you know, Bob Woodward from the Watergate fame. Yeah, yeah. And this is another um, expose of Donald Trump, all with firsthand evidence. And it's it's extraordinary because it's true. That's yeah. why it's extraordinary. And you're reading it and you think, what, really? Hang on, what, the man who's running the, the biggest country in the free world does mm. that. Um, mm. And that's why that's so good. And then um, a debut by Mara Timon called City of Spies. I had Mara on the radio show. Mm. City of Spies is incredible. It's a really, really good book. Um, all about a, uh, a female spy in kind of um, post-Second World War era. And it's brilliantly written. It's exhilarating. The characters are great. And this woman's a proper kick-ass woman. Do you know what I mean? But not yeah. in a kind of not in an overly done Hollywood style, just in a kind of really strong, like you mm -hmm. wouldn't mess with a kind of, and I loved reading her and Mara was a delight to interview. And there's another book coming next year, which will be a follow-up. And um, that was a really good debut for me this year that I really enjoyed. 
So those are the ones I want to give honorable mentions to. And then one that sat on the iPad that I need to read over Christmas is, mm -hmm. and again, it's um, it might have been the year of the short story 2020. Don mm. Winslow did it. Stephen King did it, yeah. If It Bleeds. And there's a follow-up to The Outsider on there, but then there's other short stories. And I can't wait for that either. I've really got into Stephen King books recently, and I don't really like horror, but I've read some of the more thrillery ones. And, you know, the other night I treated myself to Misery on Netflix. <laughs> That's a. Have you um, seen it? Yeah, yeah, of course I've seen it. Um, I haven't seen it recently, but it's a oh, such a good film. But really? terrifying, terrifying. Really? Yeah, yeah. I saw it at the cinema when it came out, and uh, I must have—I must have told you this already. The bit where she puts the block of wood between mm -hmm, his feet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I was ahead of the rest of the cinema, and I knew what she was going to do. And I let out <laughs> this expletive in the cinema, <laughs> and the row in front of me turned around to look at me, and then when they saw what happened, they all did the same thing. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, and. Um, well, just to wrap things up then, it's been an utter joy uh, reading so much this year and talking to authors about their work. And I am very much looking forward to doing more of the same. Yeah, likewise. Uh, it's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes we've both had so much other work on that we found these difficult to do. But then when we do sit down together and do these, the, the pleasure and joy is just instant, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah, that, that tells us all we need to know. I yeah. hope you've had as much fun listening to these as we've had recording them for you. And there will be a season two next year. We'll work it out, and we'll give you plenty of notice uh, of when they drop. And we'll try and um, we'll try and make season two more manageable. <laughs> what did we end up doing in the end? Twenty three or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many good books. It's really hard. It's, it's hard really to hard. say no, isn't it? It's it really is. Hard to say I didn't no. mention Jojo Moyes either. I love. No, I know me neither. Too. It's just I know. Yeah, Mike I, there's a reason book. why I didn't mention Jojo Moyes though, and yeah. that's because for me that book came out the year before. It was okay, I with her in 2019. Yeah, got it. But Mike Gale as well. You're right. Um, when I talk about a, a lack of funny books, that book was very funny. It's, it was, it was really warm, funny, heartwarming, yeah. but also funny. Yeah. So hopefully, if we can match 2020's list of incredible writers for 2021, then we're going to be in for a great year next year, despite what else might be going on in the world in book exactly. world it will be a good year and finally from me to you thanks for putting up with me and happy christmas to you and yours oh is that to everyone listening or just to me just to you really <laughs> yeah oh well i will i will send it back uh, your way as well and yeah these have been an utter delight and yeah made me read more than i have recently which has been brilliant and I think helped keep me on an even keel at times although probably if you've listened to this podcast you know I'm not really but anyway blah 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 <laughs> uh, I... I tell you um, there's one writer I'm really looking forward to interviewing next year oh who's that is that top, me top of my try and get list <laughs> he's a debut novelist called Natalie Jameson mm -hmm. yeah let's let's see what happens eh who knows what 2021 will bring if you do another podcast before this we're done <laughs> I want the exclusive interview. <laughs> Sorry, I, th I think it's a safe bet. I think you're fine. I think it's all good. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Merry, Merry New Year. <laughs>